The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I am Galen McDowell. I'm the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. We're in the midst of a series titled Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, by, and it's based upon the book of the same title by T. Harv Ecker. And the basis of this book is Mastering the Inner Game of Wealth. The series is focusing on the psychology of money, the psychology of prosperity, the psychology of abundance, the way people think and feel about success, prosperity, and money, the habits that they develop, the beliefs that are established around this subject. So today I'm going to go into the next chapter, the wealth files. I'm going to probably recap because I didn't. I took two weeks to do the first chapter, but I really didn't get through it. But I have a structure that I'm trying to maintain. So I'm jumping over. And more importantly, I want you to read the book. It's important that you actually get the book and start reading it yourself. Anytime I do these shows where I'm teaching a book, I really want you to get the book so you can do your own study, so you can do your own prayer work, so spirit can reveal to you what you need to focus on, et cetera, et cetera. And more importantly, is getting the habit of training your mind in multiple ways. Listen to things, watch things, read things. And when you have an opportunity to read, one of the things that you don't have to do is you don't have to keep up with the pace of the presenter. If I'm you know, dropping gems and, you know, you're trying to, let me make sure I get this. Let me make sure I get that. It's one thing. Let me go back and listen to that again or whatever. But when you're reading, something can hit you. You can stop. You can contemplate. You can pray on it. You can meditate on it. You can take notes. You can whatever. Reading allows you to get into your thoughts in a different way. So, and, and I'm also not covering every sentence, every paragraph in this book or any other book. So it's important that you get the book for yourself. So let's get right to it. 
this is this uh, chapter starts on page 49, part two, the wealth files. 17 ways rich people think and act differently from poor and middle class people. All right. So one of the things he first starts off in this book, in this chapter, rather, is recapping something from the first chapter where he wrote, talked about the process of manifestation. He says, recall that thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions, and actions lead to results. Let's go back over that again because it's so simplistic, it's easy to miss. Thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to actions, and actions lead to results. Then he goes on to say, everything begins with your thoughts, which are produced by your mind. One of the first things that I was taught when I came to Christ Universal Temple was thoughts are things. Reverend Coleman used to say it all the time. Thoughts are things. We have to look at them, look at thoughts that way. Thoughts are things. You are literally generating thoughts that, as Charles Fillmore would state, have secondary thinking power. What does that mean? That once they've been thought, then they will function according to the character that is given to them by the thinker. In other words, have you ever had a situation where you saw somebody that you haven't seen in years, but the last time or the last few times you had an interaction with that individual, it wasn't from your perspective positive? What type of thoughts pulled up? What type of feelings came up? Probably not good ones. Because it never got reconciled. So those thoughts, those feelings are still functioning like they were created. Let's flip it on the opposite. You haven't seen somebody in years, but but you really enjoyed your time. You really, you know, love or like them. And you see them, oh, my God, you run up, you hug them. Oh, I haven't seen you so long. How's it been? How's the family, et cetera, et cetera. Because those thoughts which you haven't thought probably sometimes in a decade or more brings back all those good times, all those good feelings, all those good images. And sometimes it's just an automatic reaction before all of that can happen. That thought is already like, this is somebody I like engage. Well, we think the same way around money. We think the same way around bills. We think the same way around business. We think the same way around success. You have thoughts that are productive towards your success, prosperity, and money. And you have thoughts, you have feelings, you have beliefs that are not productive when it comes to producing success, prosperity, and money. I just want you to just be present to it. Moving on. He talks about the mind being like a big file cabinet on page 49. And the file cabinet stores information so you can pull it up. So you can survive, not necessarily thrive, but survive. In other words, there's there's an aspect of us that goes back to what we already know in the subconscious mind and pulls that file when it's time for us to do something. So if you were on the side of a road with a flat tire, your mind starts to pull out the file 
of how to fix a flat tire. Now, it might be a while, so you, you might have a hard time pulling that file up. Or, or you might say, I really don't know how to fix a tire. Or your mind might say, when I have a flat tire, I call my insurance company and they send a tow truck to come fix the tire or tow my car. It's all options. By the way, the last one is my option, and I know how to fix a flat, but it's just just on GP. That's what I pay them people for. So anyway, GP means general principle. I just thought about that. that That's a a very African-American statement. Anyway, back to the book. It says, uh, bottom of page 49, if in every situation you go to the files of your mind to determine how you respond. Now, what I will say is this. This is based upon normal, regular thinking. He's talking about how the subconscious mind works. When you start to develop a higher level of consciousness where you are developing the ability to listen to and follow your intuition, the spirit within, you won't automatically just go to your subconscious mind and pull out things from the past. What you will do, though, is say, and this is a part of where he's right, when something happens, I need to pray. When something happens, I need to get still. When something happens, I need to turn the spirit. That's an aspect of it as well. Moving on. He says, the only thoughts you can have about money will be what are stored in your money file. That's all you can think about because that's all that is all that is in your mind under that category. So yet again, you, me, we, us all have states of consciousness where we have beliefs around every subject in our life or in our lives. Money, intimate relationships, parenting, uh, being what it means to be a sibling, what it means to be somebody's grandparent or child or whatever, what it means to be a friend, what it means to be married or in an intimate relationship, what is it means to be an employee or a boss or a supervisor or owner of a business, what it means to be political, what what it means around, uh, you know, gender and race and religion. We all have files in our minds that you pull up. Now, the files can change, but you have to be intentional about changing your files or life happens to you, and before you realize it, your file has changed, sometimes positively, many times unconsciously against what is for your highest good. Something traumatic happens, and then you experience it, you don't process it, and now it gets filed. Anyway, moving on. I'm going jumping to page 51 because he gives a lot of different stories about a lot of different stuff. He says, page 51, rich people think very differently from poor and middle class people. They think differently about money, wealth, themselves, other people, and pretty well every other facet of life. Then he skips down. He says, remember, you choose to think in ways that will support You can choose to think in ways that will support you and your happiness and success instead of ways that don't. And then he gives the caveat, which I want to make sure I cover right now. 
First, he says, and I believe all of these, uh, I do not believe that rich, rich people are better than poor people. They are just richer. That's it. We're studying success, prosperity, and money. Therefore, the contrast has to be made in thinking. But they don't mean people are better. There are no better people in God. That's why Jesus said, pray our father, not some people's father, our father. One God, one humanity. No big U's and little me's. All that stuff is made up. So we're only studying the contrast because if you're listening to a show like this one, especially with me covering this subject, that means you want different results. Therefore, we have to draw the contrast. But it does not mean that people who have more money are better than people who don't. That's ridiculous. All right. Second, when I discuss rich, poor and middle class people, I'm referring to their mentality. How different folks think and act rather than the actual amount of money they've got or their value to society. Yet again, this is a book that is only discussing the mentality mentality or the psychology around wealth and how people look at it differently. Again, it does not determine their value to society. For example, Martin Luther King was not a wealthy man. But without a shadow of a doubt, he's one of the greatest people, in my opinion, in human history. Easily. Gandhi was not a wealthy man. But he was one of the greatest human beings in human history. So we're not saying this has anything to do with value. If you're studying this book and following along with this series, it's because you're trying to develop a higher prosperity consciousness. That's it. Number three, he says, third, I will be generalizing big time. I understand that not all rich and not all poor people are the way I am describing them to be. Again, my objective is to make sure you get the point of each principle and use it. Now, why is this important? Because you make generalizations and if you know you're making generalizations, instead of trying to find the the anomalies to the the distinction, just play with it in your head so you can get the best out of it. Because we you know we'll say, you know, where you know, for instance, Surgeon General can say smoking cigarettes, you know, does this to your lungs and lung cancer and life expectancy and all this other stuff. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that smoking cigarettes is bad for your health. Period. But there's always somebody that says, you know, my uncle smoked for 85 years and he died at 100, whatever. Or George Burns did this or XYZ did that. Okay, so you have four or five examples out of the hundreds of millions of people who have over the last 120, 130 years died from cigarette smoke. That's what we do with money. That's what we do with success. That's what we do with our jobs. Well, you pick that one lazy person that you knew that still got ahead. 
You'll pick that one person who was random with their money and they still succeeded. You pick that one person who who was at, at times maybe what's the word I want to use? I'll just say unwise with how they live. And you say, well, that person made money or we'll find somebody who's made money as a criminal. And then we'll want to point that out and forget that the local jail and the state jail and the federal prison has tons of people who tried to do the same thing. And they're in jail. So don't seek the anomaly. We're talking generalities. In other words, the general, the overwhelming general trend of people who think like this produce these type of results. All right. It's not everybody. Fourth, he says, for the most part, I will not always be referring to the middle class specifically because middle class people usually have a mix of rich and poor mentalities. Again, my goal is for you to become aware of where you fit on the scale and think more like the rich if you want to create more wealth. So yet again, he's doing more of a contrast between uh, poverty and prosperity versus middle class. All right. Fifth, several of the principles in this section may appear to deal more with habits and actions than with the ways of thinking. Remember, our actions come from our feelings which come from our thoughts. Consequently, every rich action is preceded by a rich way of thinking. So in other words, you're still developing a mental equivalent. We're still developing prosperity. In the mind first. If I want it in my hand, I have to have it in my mind. If I want it in my life, I have to have it in my mind. That's what I'm saying. Point blank. If I want it, I have to have it in my mind first. Finally, last point. I'm going to ask you to be willing to let go of being right. What I mean by that is be willing to let go of having to do it your way. Have you ever talked to someone who told you that they aren't getting the results that they desire and you know how to produce those results and then you inform them, well, you could do this, you can do this, you can do that, et cetera, et cetera. And they start to tell you why it won't work when you've already produced the results and they haven't produced any. Or they produce results that they don't desire because everything produces a result. We don't always get the results we desire. We don't get preferred demonstrations. Therefore, it's important that we let go of being right. We can pick up our right after we study this book in good detail. But for right now, just think and ponder what it what can I learn about wealth thinking, financial independence, money and prosperity that can radically change my life? What can I learn? I'm asking you to be curious. 
to look at it from the standpoint of a child and say, you know what? If I just played with this book, played with the information that's in this book, actually followed through on what he's recommending, I wonder what can happen in my life around the topic of money. It's just a thought. Just play with the thought. I wonder what can happen. You know, I was thinking about this a couple of nights ago. I don't think that I know anyone who has ever completely followed a self-help book to the letter. I mean, everything they ask you to do in the book, every exercise, contemplate this, write that down, do this. We always, you know, when I talk to people about this particular subject, no one says to me, everything Catherine Ponder said in Dynamic Laws of Prosperity, I did it. Everything that I, et cetera, et cetera, said in, and Michael Beckwith said in his life visioning book, or everything that HMLK said, do lessons than truth. When I say everything, I mean like literally everything for a consistent amount of time. Because you can't do everything in a book at one time. Most people are in the spirit of what the author is saying or writing. But to do everything, everything over a consistent amount of time to produce the results that are desired. And when I'm saying that, I'm talking about self-help book. I'm not talking about, okay, this is a diet book and you got to follow the diet, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so let, let me... Let me say this. Uh, when when the complaint-free world, somebody just asked me uh, when I was at Renaissance Unit this past Sunday, um, you know, with the 21-day challenge, no complain, no complaining, no criticizing, no what I would say calling, throwing shade at people. Um, I, I'm, I was honest. She asked me, did you finish the 21 days? I was like, no, I didn't. You know, I, I had a period of time and I think I made it up to like six days because I realized that it's a part of me that, that likes to throw shade. Like, look at that over there. What they doing? What are they doing? And before I realize it, I've said it and now I got to start over day one. Shifting behavior is challenging. You know, uh, Emmett Fox wrote in the seven day mental diet. That if a person really took on the seven-day mental diet, it would literally be the hardest thing they've ever done. Because at least with the complaint-free world, it's what you say that counts, not what you think or feel. With the seven-day mental diet by Emmett Fox, it's what you think that counts. Before you feel it, before you say it, before you do it, just the thought of it means start back day one. So I'm going to ask you all today to just be honest enough with yourself to say, let me put down being right so I can produce the results I desire. If you knew what you needed to know about money, and I'm not talking about conceptually. Because, you know, people read the books, Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, uh, you know, I forgot, Automatic Millionaire Guy and, 
you know, we read the the, the, the New Thought or Success books, the Catherine Ponder, the Deepak Chopras, the Wayne Dyers. And we still don't have the results because it hasn't become a part of who we are. Jesus said it this way. He said he, when he was with his disciples, he said he broke the food and he said, take, eat. And then he took the wine, drink. He says, you know, and he was teaching people that eat of my blood and uh, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Now, we take this, you know, the sacrament, you know, the communion, but think a little bit deeper. What you eat and what you drink literally become a part of who you are. You know, it's sort of like that old song from the 70s. Early 80s, it was a commercial when Saturday morning cartoons used to come on. And it was a song, a guy, they used to have this little cartoon character, and he was saying, you are what you eat from your head down to your feet. And he had this whole little thing about talking about all the different parts of the body and how what we eat and drink becomes our body. So, you're also, you are also what you think. You are what you think. And every aspect of your life, it corresponds to your mentality around specific subjects. That's why you can be very advanced in one subject in your life and very poor in another. Like, I just got this. There are people who just, they have the money thing down and they don't have the wealth thing down. They have the wealth thing down and they don't have the health thing down. They have the wealth and the health thing down and they and, and the relationship thing is out of order. Why? Because life can be, life is and it can be. Life is complex. So, give up being right. He says it this way. Why? Because your way has gotten you exactly what you've got right now. If you want more of the same, Keep doing it your way. If you're not rich, however, maybe it's time you consider a different way, especially one that comes from someone who is really, really rich and has put thousands of others on the road to wealth, too. It's up to you. So he's saying, I, I'm teaching you what I know and what I did to produce wealth and to become rich again that doesn't make a person better or worse he's talking about the context of money if you want to discover what that means let's do what we have to do so he goes on to say page 53 most people understand we are creatures of habit but what they don't understand is that there are actually two kinds of habits doing habits and not doing habits everything you are not doing right now you are in the habit of not doing so let's just be mindful about it we're going to take our commercial break and we'll be right back with truth transform You're listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating diversity and inclusivity for Pride Month. We are one. 
It takes you to power Unity Online Radio. If you'd like to make a positive difference in the world, you can by contributing to this global ministry. Unity Online Radio relies on listeners like you to support our broadcasts that send our messages out to an awakening world. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and discover timeless spiritual principles that you can apply to your life today. David White discusses the connection between poetry and presence. Dan Milman outlines the four purposes of life. And Mirabai Starr celebrates the divine feminine in an excerpt from her latest book, Wild Mercy. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. Ready to roll the dice? Check out the new Intention Dice from Unity. Five dice, different colors, each with words that can prompt you to set an intention for the day, create an affirmation, or journal your thoughts. Roll the green die for abundance and see what comes up. Enriched, worthy, generous. Blue for health. Energetic, whole, radiant. Five dice, limitless possibilities for your life. Find them at unity.org dice. Create a path to success and prosperity with May McCarthy and Abundance Incorporated every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A co-founder of seven successful companies, an angel investor, best-selling author, and international speaker, May will help you each week with spiritual and practical tools you can use to create a life that you love with greater health, happiness, wealth, and freedom. Join the show live with your questions or listen later on demand right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Uh, Before we get back into the book, let me do my quick commercial. Remember that this show, along with all the other shows on Unity Online Radio, are supported by your donations. So as you freely receive, freely give, my request is that you go to UnityOnlineRadio.org or the shortcut Unity.fm. Click on the donate button and help support this online ministry so this powerful message of new thought can travel all around the world. This is also a reminder that you can... 
check in with the Christ Universal Temple Ministry through our website, cutemple.org, www.cutemple.org, or you can check us out on our app in the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store under Christ Universal Digital. We just um, launched the Johnny Coleman Archives. For $4.97 a month, you can listen to sermons of the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman, and we'll be adding to them every week. So you'll have the opportunity to study with and under through audio of clips, not clips, audio downloads. One of the greatest New Thought Masters of the last 50, 60 years. Also want to remind you about Panorama of Truth, which is the conference for the Universal Foundation for Better Living. It's July 17th through the 21st. You can go to ufbl.org to get more information, www.ufbl.org. Here's some of the people like Susan Taylor, uh, uh, Dr. Will Coleman, who's a frequent guest on this show, and uh, uh, actor uh, Danny Glover will be there and a host of other people. So if you show up, I'll see you there. Uh, last but not least, the International New Thought Alliance, uh, I believe it's the 104th Congress, uh, World Congress, is having their um, Congress in Nashville, Tennessee on July 22nd through the 25th, I believe. I'll be speaking at that conference on Thursday, July 25th in the morning. So if you're in the area or you do want to come in and check it out, you can go to the International New Thought Alliance's website. Unfortunately, I didn't write it down. So International New Thought Alliance website should point you in the right direction. So I think that covers everything that I want to cover today. But make sure you download that app. That's going to be dope. Oh, no, I didn't cover everything. Real quick, remember that this show has a Facebook page, Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Uh, my request is that you like the page, that you write a positive review, and give it a five-star rating. It's also the easiest way to get in contact with me. Also, I want—I would—I am requesting rather that uh, if you follow the show on Apple Podcast or Stitcher, that you give it a five-star rating and write a positive review. It helps with the algorithms to get this message out to the world. My request, last request, is that if you like what you hear, share it, put it on your Facebook page, your Twitter, uh, your Instagram, your Snapchat, text it to people, whatever. Let people get the benefit of this message. All right, let's get back to it. So, wealth file number one. Rich people believe I create my life. Poor people believe life happens to me. Now, again, he's making generalities, but I really want you to really get this. I create my life is empowering. Life happens to me is disempowering. If you say life happens to me, you're saying that you are you are at the effect of life, not cause. And what he's saying and what I'm saying is. You're always at cause, even when you don't know that you're at cause. Because what you do and what you don't do 
creates cause, which will create effects. So he says, if you want to create wealth, it is imperative that you believe that you are at the steering wheel of your life, especially your financial life. You know, well, the government's going to do this and the, and the, you know, the banks are going to do that and the jobs are going to do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And sooner or later, you got to buckle down and say 100% responsibility. I'm in charge of my life. In my old class, uh, the, my uh, mastermind for success class, when I'm teaching the success principles, we start the class off with E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. Event plus response equals outcome. Stuff is going to happen in life. What you are 100% responsible for is your response. So even if you walk into a situation that you didn't literally cause, you're causing it in your life by simply determining how you're going to respond. So you can either handle life from an empowered point of view or a disempowered point of view. All right. He goes on to say, you have to believe that you are the one who creates your success. That you are the one who creates your mediocrity and that you are the one creating your struggle around money and success consciously or unconsciously. It's still you. 100 percent responsibility. Never allow yourself to believe that you are at the effect of somebody else's thing, even if it's factually true at this time. You can't be free until you're free in your mind. Even though she didn't literally say this, it's attributed to her. Uh, when Harriet Tubman, um, it's a story that says Harriet Tubman, Tubman said, uh, I could have freed thousands of more slaves if they could ever realize that they were actually slaves. Now, she didn't literally say that statement. It's been floating around for years. The point of it is this. The people were, she was trying to say, sometimes they were delusional. About And they would get scared and fearful and would rather go back into the bondage of slavery than to be free. Harriet was free in her mind. Therefore, she was so free, she was able to go back, get people who were in bondage and, and sell them on the hope of freedom to get them out. And, you know, and then at times in the midst of of them seeking to become free, they would get scared so she would pull her pistol out and say, no, we're going forward now, but that's neither here nor there. But my <laughs> my point is you have to recognize the psychology around everything. She was free even though the people who looked like her were not in the same area, dealing with the same folks in the same situation because in her mind she was free. So she was able to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in the midst of slavery to free people because she was free. You cannot be free literally if you're not free mentally. Because you will find your bondage when you're a slave. This is why Carter G. Woodson wrote in The Miseducation of the Negro. To paraphrase, if you can teach a man to go to the back door 
he will go without being told. And if there is no back door, his very nature will compel him to make one. All right, moving on. So T. Harv Ecker goes on to say on page 54, instead of taking responsibility for what's going on in their lives, poor people choose to play the role of the victim. A victim's predominant thought is often poor me. So presto, by virtue of the law of intention, that's literally what victims get. They get to be poor. Notice that I said they play the role of the victim. I didn't say they are victims. Oh, oh, that's a big statement right there. We play roles. It's not who we are. We play the role. It's not who we are. You know, I've said this on the show many times when Reverend Coleman used to say, never give it to someone's poverty. And, you know, when she first said it, it startled me. You know, but what about these poor people and homeless people and whatever, et cetera? But what she was trying to say was that you are a steward of God's abundance and you're just supporting or giving to another child of God, not a poor person, not a despondent person. Not a hopeless person. You're just the steward of God's abundance. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to them. It all belongs to God. And how God is instructing you to give to another child of God does not mean that you have to view that person as less than a child of God. You know, as Mother Teresa is attributed to saying that she would see the face of Jesus in every person she was helping. That changes your perspective on how you help people. If you think that they're less than you, then you'll treat them as if they are, even when you're helping them. It's important that the dignity of wholeness is given to everyone regardless of their circumstances. The dignity of it. Don't treat me like I'm less than because my situation right now might be less than I desire it to be. Give me a hand up not a handout. Literally, it could be the same thing. Mentally, it could be two totally different things. Back to the book. So he goes into what he calls victim clues. How can you tell if you're playing the victim? And he says on page 55, when it comes to why they are not rich, most victims are professionals at the blame game. The object of this game is to see how many people and circumstances you can point the finger at without ever looking at yourself. We're looking for everybody else to be the reason why we're not happy. Instead of dealing with our own mentality and the choices we make. My new favorite question to people is, what have you learned about yourself in this experience? 
What have you learned about yourself? What you do, what you don't do. What have you learned about yourself? That's important. Because if you are pointing the finger, blaming, and not taking responsibility, you've learned that you believe life is happening to you and and you're at the effect of life, not at the cause. So he goes on to say how victims blame the economy, the government, the stock market, the broker, the business, their employer, the employees, the manager, the head, the head office, the customers of service, the shipping department, their partners, their spouse. They blame God. Blame their parents. He says, it's always someone else or something else that is to blame. The problem is anything or anyone but them. Who are you blaming right now for not having the money you desire? You say, well, I'm blaming myself. Don't even blame yourself. Take responsibility for it. There's a difference between taking responsibility and kicking yourself in the behind because you haven't produced the results you desire. We already know how to make ourselves feel bad. I'm sure you're a pro at it by now. That won't change anything either. What I'm asking you to do is look at your life and since we're talking about money in particular, success in money, and really ask yourself, in regards to money, what am I learning about myself? What are your money habits? Who are you blaming? Is it the job? You know, I, I you know, I, you know, I, I told a person recently, I know that you did all the right things. You, you were raised the right way. You went to prestigious schools. You got multiple degrees. You, you know, you went into the profession that you went to school for and stuff isn't working the way you want. And now you're mad. You got student loan debt. You got all this other stuff. And you're saying, well, what's going on? And I told the person point blank. Well, you did the outer things properly, but you bought into the myth there is no automatics in life. You have to be at the cause of your life. Stop waiting for life to happen to you. You did the outer stuff. and You should praise yourself the level of discipline and focus it takes to, you know, get the degrees and, 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 you know, from these prestigious universities matter. But what also matters is your psychology. Because if... You believe that just getting the good education just means that somebody's going to roll out the red carpet of a great job? Then you got another thing coming. You got to be at the cause of your life. You got to look at legitimately, okay, what will it take for me to do what I need to do and take care of these student loans 
and live where I need to live. And sometimes that doesn't mean that that works within a nine to five or whatever context. It might mean some other things. It might mean that you might have to now study and hopefully by reading this book and listening to this show, you start to look at what it really means to live from the money files. What do I mean the money files? The subconscious patterns around wealth, prosperity, success, and money. What are the clues? What are the distinctions? What are the principles that govern prosperity? And stop blaming everybody else for the things that don't work. And again, that doesn't mean that because when I say statements like this, sometimes people think that I'm saying don't address social justice issues or don't address things that are problems in the community. Address all those things. If something happens in my neighborhood, I call the police immediately. I'm that dude. I don't have to do it often, but I will. And I haven't had to do it in a while, but I'm totally that dude. I'll call about anything. That person's walking that dog without a leash. And it's a, and it's a big, vicious dog. No, I need to call the police. Why? Because I believe in being a responsible citizen. I'm talking about your personal life. Vote for who you need to vote for. Support the things that you believe in. Be a stand for the things that you need to be a stand for. Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Hold the politicians accountable that you vote for. Hold the people in place that are in leadership positions that need to be held accountable. If you're a boss, if you're a supervisor, a manager, or owner, you need to be able to hold the people that work for you um, responsible and accountable for what they're supposed to produce without a shadow of a doubt. And anybody needs to be reprimanded, reprimand them. Anybody needs to be fired, fire them. Got it. I got all of that type of stuff. This is not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about playing the victim. I'm saying take responsibility for your life. And it starts with the belief that I create my life, nobody else. I create my life. You don't get to determine my life. I create it. Victim clue number two, justifying. He wrote, page 56, if victims aren't blaming, you'll often find them justifying or rationalizing their situation by saying something like, money's not really important. He says, let me ask you this question. If you said that your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your partner or friend weren't all that important, would any of them be around for long? I don't think so, and neither would money. At my live seminar, some participants always come up to me and say, you know, hard money's not really that important. I look them directly in the eyes and say, you're broke, right? That's funny by itself. They usually look down at their feet and meekly reply with something like, well, right now I'm having a few financial challenges, but I interrupt. No, it's no, it's not just right now. It's always you've always been broke or close to it. Yes or yes. At this point, they usually nod their head in agreement and woefully return to their seats, ready to listen and learn as they finally realize what a disastrous effect this one belief has had on their lives. Reverend Ike used to always say, never let people tell you what money is not. Well, money isn't this or money isn't that. The money, never say what money is not. Focus on what money is in your life. So he goes on to say, 
Of course they're broke. Would you have a motorcycle if it wasn't important to you? Of course not. Would you have a pet parrot if it wasn't important to you? Of course not. In the same way, if you don't think money is important, you simply won't have any. I think without a doubt, this is just my own personal opinion. I think one of the two things that is almost, I'm going to use a word that I almost never use, but I'm going to use it in this context for hyperbole. I think it's almost evil that that financial and success principles are not taught in the public education system. I think it's horrible. I think the other thing that we don't teach people is critical thinking. You know, actual study of critical thinking through elementary school, through high school, at the level that people can understand. Why? Because if a person can think critically and they can understand how wealth works, not just, you know, people aren't even taught basic stuff. You know, you know, really how money works, how the economy works, how do you save, how do you invest, the psychology around it. I mean, there are people who get this type of information in other places, but we're so used to producing workers who are mindless even after education. So you get the degree in something and you don't know how life works and you don't know how to critically think and evaluate things. Anyway, I think it's criminal that people aren't taught how to develop money and we are so cavalier in our dismissal of success, prosperity, and money. And so what ends up happening is people who don't have a lot of money on communities that don't have a lot of money, those tend to be the communities with the highest levels of crime, the highest levels of health issues, with the highest levels of poor education in their communities. It's ripple effects to this thing. And I'm more present to it because I know that a lot of those communities, the people in it, the boys and the girls, they look like me in the United States, at least. So it's time that we start to teach people the responsibility of money. But they don't want you to be responsible. They want you to turn 18 and start getting credit cards and get on the rat race, start running on the treadmill. They want you to get debt after debt after debt after debt to go to school without recognizing uh, that when you get out of school with that $150,000 in student loan debt, that you don't know how to handle that. Don't even know what you're signing. Parents don't even know what they're signing. I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm not saying do 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 it because I realize that right now the system is the system. What I'm saying is it should be understood and the psychology of it should be understood. But we justify where we are in this country and around the world as a, a, around money because we are dismissive of its importance. Page 57 says it best. Let me put it bluntly. Anyone who says money isn't important doesn't have any. Then he goes on. Well, money isn't as important as love. And I always tell people, well, love is for sale. But what can you do with more money?
So he says, listen up, my friends. Money is extremely important in the areas in which it works and extremely unimportant in the areas in which it doesn't. And although love may make the world go round, it sure it sure doesn't pay for the building of any hospitals, churches, or homes. It also doesn't feed anybody. Not convinced? Try paying your bills with love. Still not sure? Then pop over to the bank and try depositing some love and see what happens. Then he drops the mic and says, no rich, peop- no rich people believe money is not important. You got to be present to it's important. And this is why. It's important. My financial independence is important. My success, prosperity, and money is important. Me, you should have goals when it comes to how much money you have, how much money you save, how much money you invest, how much money you utilize to take care of things. And even if you're not there now, you got to set some intentions about where you seek to go and what you seek to produce. Don't let life happen to you and then you look up and you don't have enough money to handle your responsibilities. I just read an article the other day about some people being laid off and one person had a dollar and 80 something cent in their bank account. Most people don't even have a thousand dollars as an emergency fund. So we're going to pick this up next week. Uh, I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Take care. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.